When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the classic novel Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson. Today, chapters 18 and 19. And now, chapter 18. I talk with Alan in the Wood of Littermore. Alan was the first to come round. He rose, went to the border of the wood, peered out a little, and then returned and sat down. Well, said he, yon was a hot burst, David. I said nothing, nor so much as lifted my face. I had seen murder done, and a great, ruddy, jovial gentleman stuck out of life in a moment. The pity of that sight was still sore within me, and yet that was but a part of my concern. Here was murder done upon the man Alan hated. Here was Alan skulking in the trees and running from the troops. And whether this was his hand that fired or only the head that ordered signified but little to me. By my way of it, my only friend in that wild country was blood guilty in the first degree." I held him in horror. I could not look upon his face. I would have rather lain alone in the rain on my cold isle than in that warm wood beside a murderer. "'Are you still wearied?' he asked again. "'No,' said I, still with my face in the bracken. "'No, I am not wearied now, and I can speak.' "'You and me must twine,' I said. "'I liked you very well, Alan, but your ways are not mine, and they're not God's and the short and the long of it is that we just must part. "'I will hardly part from you, David, without some kind of reason for the same,' said Alan, mighty gravely. "'If you know anything against my reputation, it's the least thing that ye should do, for old acquaintance' sake, to let me hear the name of it. And if ye have only taken a distaste to my society, it will be proper for me to judge if I am insulted.' "'Alan,' said I, "'what's the sense of this?' "'You can very well yon Campbell man lies in his blood upon the road.' "'He was silent for a little, and then says he, "'Did ye ever hear tell of the story of the man and the good people? "'By which he met the fairies.' "'No,' said I, "'nor do I want to hear it.' "'With your permission, Mr. Balfour, I will tell it whatever,' says Alan. "'The man, you should ken, was cast upon a rock in the sea.' where it appears the good people were in use to come and rest as they went through to Ireland. The name of this rock is called the Scaravore, and it's not far from where we suffered shipwreck. Well, it seems the men cried so sore, if he could just see his little baron before he died, that at last the king of the good people took pity upon him, and sent one flying that brought back the baron in a poke, and laid it down beside the man where he lay sleeping. So when the man woke, there was a poke beside him, and something into the inside of it that moved. Well, it seems he was one of these gentry that think I the worst of things, and for greater security, he stuck his dirk through that poke before he opened it, and there was his bairn dead. I'm thinking of myself, Mr. Balfour, 
"'that you and the man are very much alike. "'Do you mean that you had no hand in it?' "'cried I, sitting up. "'I will tell you first of all, Mr. Balfour of Shaw's, "'as one friend to another,' said Alan, "'that if I were going to kill a gentleman, "'it would not be in my own country "'to bring trouble on my clan, "'and I would not go wanting sword and gun "'and with a long fishing rod upon my back.' "'Well,' said I, "'that's true.' "'And now,' continued Alan, "'taking out his dirk "'and laying his hand upon it in a certain manner, "'I swear upon the holy iron "'I had neither art nor part, "'act nor thought in it.' "'Well, I thank God for that,' "'cried I, and offered him my hand. "'He did not appear to see it. "'And here's a great deal of work "'about a Campbell,' said he. "'They are not so scarce that I can.' "'At least,' said I, "'you cannot justify blame me, "'for you know very well what you told me in the brig. "'But the temptation and the act are different. "'I thank God again for that. "'We may all be tempted, "'but to take a life in cold blood? "'Alan! "'And I could say no more for the moment. "'And do you know who did it?' "'I added. "'Do you know that man in the black coat?' "'I have no clear mind about his coat,' "'said Alan cunningly. "'but it sticks in my head that it was blue. "'Blue or black? Did you know him?' said I. "'I couldn't just conscientiously swear to him,' says Alan. "'He gave very close to me, to be sure, "'but it's a strange thing that I should just have been tying my brogues.' "'Can you swear that you don't know him, Alan?' I cried, half-angered, half in a mind to laugh at his evasions. "'Not yet,' says he, "'but I've a grand memory for forgetting, David.' "'And yet there was one thing I saw clearly,' said I, "'and that was that you exposed yourself and me to draw the soldiers.' "'It's very likely,' said Alan, "'and so would any gentleman. "'You and me were innocent of that transaction.' "'The better reason, since we were falsely suspected, "'that we should get clear,' I cried. "'The innocent should surely come before the guilty.' "'Why, David,' said he, "'the innocent have I a chance to get assoiled in court.' but for the lad that shot the bullet, I think the best place for him will be the heather. Them that haven't dipped their hands in any little difficulty should be very mindful of the case of them that have, and that is the good Christianity. For it was the other way round about, and the lad whom I could not just clearly see had been in our shoes, and we in his, as it might very well have been, I think we would be a good deal obliged to him ourselves if he would draw the soldiers. When it came to this, I gave Alan up, "'but he looked so innocent all the time. "'I was in such clear good faith in what he said, "'and so ready to sacrifice himself for what he deemed his duty, "'that my mouth was closed. "'Mr. Henderland's words came back to me, "'that we ourselves might take a lesson by these wild Highlanders. "'Well, here I had taken mine. "'Alan's morals were all tail first, "'but he was ready to give his life for them, such as they were. "'Alan,' said I, I'll not say it's the good Christianity as I understand it, but it's good enough. And here I offer you my hand for the second time. Whereupon he gave me both of his, saying surely I had cast a spell upon him, for he could forgive me anything. Then he grew very grave, and said we had not much time to throw away, but must both flee that country, he because he was a deserter, and the whole of Appen would now be searched like a chamber, and every one obliged to give a good account of himself and I, because I was certainly involved in the murder. Oh, says I, willing to give him a little lesson, 
I have no fear of the justice of my country. As if this was your country, said he, or as if ye would be tried here, in a country of stewards. It's all Scotland, said I. Man, I wiles wonder at ye, said Alan. This is a Campbell that's been killed. Well, I'll be tried in Inverara, the Campbell's head place, with fifteen Campbells in the jury box, and the biggest Campbell of all, and that's the Duke, sitting cocking on the bench. Justice, David? The same justice, by all the world, as Glenier found a while ago at the roadside. This frightened me a little, I confess, and would have frightened me more if I had known how nearly exact were Alan's predictions. Indeed, it was only in one point that he exaggerated, there being but eleven Campbells on the jury. Though as the other four were equally in the Duke's dependence, it mattered less than might appear. Still, I cried out that he was unjust to the Duke of Argyle, who, for all he was a Whig, was yet a wise and honest nobleman. Hoot, said Alan. The man's a Whig, no doubt, but I'd never deny he was a good chieftain to his clan. And what would the clan think if there was a Campbell's shot, and nobody hanged, and their own chief the Justice General? But I've often observed, says Alan, that you low-country bodies have no clear idea of what's right and wrong. At this I did at last laugh out aloud, when, to my surprise, Alan joined in, and laughed as merrily as myself. "'Nay, nay,' said he. "'We're in the highlands, David, and when I tell you to run, take my word, and run. No doubt it's a hard thing to skulk and starve in the heather, but it's harder yet to lie shackled in a red-coat prison.' I asked him whither we should flee, and as he told me, to the lowlands, I was a little better inclined to go with him, for indeed I was growing impatient to get back and have the upper hand of my uncle. Besides, Alan made so sure there would be no question of justice in the matter, that I began to be afraid he might be right. Of all deaths, I would truly like least to die by the gallows, and the picture of that uncanny instrument came into my head with extraordinary clearness, as I had once seen it engraved at the top of a peddler's ballad, and took away my appetite for courts of justice. "'I'll chance it, Alan,' said I. "'I'll go with you.' "'But mind you,' said Alan, "'it's no small thing. "'You mun lie bare and hard, "'and brook many an empty belly. "'Your bed shall be the moorcocks, "'and your life shall be like the hunted deers, "'and ye shall sleep with your hand upon your weapons. "'Aye, man, ye shall tigle many a weary foot, "'or we get clear. "'I tell you this at the start, "'for it's a life that I know well. "'But if you ask what other chance you have, "'I answer, none.' "'Either take to the heather with me, or hang.' "'And that's a choice very easily made,' said I, "'and we shook hands upon it. "'And now let's take another kick at the redcoats,' says Alan, "'and he led me to the northeastern fringe of the wood. "'Looking out between the trees, "'we could see a great side of mountain "'running down exceedingly steep into the waters of the loch. "'It was a rough part, all hanging stone, and heather, "'and big scrogs of birchwood, "'and away at the far end, towards Balachalish, Little wee red soldiers were dipping up and down over hill and howe, and growing smaller every minute. There was no cheering now, for I think they had other uses for what breath was left them, but they still stuck to the trail, and doubtless thought that we were close in front of them. Alan watched them, smiling to himself. Aye, said he, they'll be gay weary before they get to the end of that employ. And so you and me, David, can sit down and eat a bite, and breathe a little longer, and take a dram from my bottle. Then we'll strike for Acharn, the house of my kinsman, James of the Glens, where I must get my clothes, and my arms, and money to carry us along. And then, David, we'll cry, 
fourth fortune, and take a cast among the heather. So we sat again and ate and drank, in a place whence we could see the sun going down into a field of great, wild, and houseless mountains, such as I was now condemned to wander in with my companion. Partly as we so sat, and partly afterwards, each of us narrated his adventures. And I shall here set down so much of Alan's as seems either curious or needful. It appears he ran to the bulwarks as soon as the wave had passed, saw me, and lost me, and saw me again as I tumbled in the roost, and at last had one glimpse of me clean on the yard. It was this that put him in some hope that I would maybe get to land after all, and made him leave those clues and messages which had brought me, for my sins, to that unlucky country of Appen. In the meanwhile, those still on the brig had got the skiff launched, and one or two were on board of her already, when there came a second wave greater than the first, and heaved the brig out of her place, and would certainly have sent her to the bottom, had she not struck and caught on some projection of the reef. When she had struck first, it had been bows on, so that the stern had hitherto been lowest. But now her stern was thrown in the air, and the bows plunged under the sea, and with that, the water began to pour into the forescuttle like the pouring of a mill-dam. It took the color out of Alan's face even to tell what followed, for there were still two men lying impotent in their bunks, and these, seeing the water pour in, and thinking the ship had foundered, began to cry out aloud, and that was such harrowing cries that all who were on deck tumbled one after another into the skiff and fell to their oars. They were not two hundred yards away, when there came a third great wave, and at that the brig lifted clean over the reef, her canvas filled for a moment, and she seemed to sail in chase of them, but settling all the while, and presently she drew down and down, as if a hand was drawing her, and the sea closed over the covenant of Dysart. Never a word they spoke as they pulled ashore, being stunned with the horror of that screaming, but they had scarce set foot upon the beach when Ho-Season woke up, as if out of a muse, and bade them lay hands upon Alan. They hung back indeed, having little taste for the employment, but Ho-Season was like a fiend, crying that Alan was alone, that they had a great sum about him. He had been the means of losing the brig and drowning all their comrades, and that here was both revenge and wealth upon a single cast. It was seven against one. In that part of the shore there was no rock that Alan could set his back to, and the sailors began to spread out and come behind him. And then, said Alan, the little man with the red head, I haven't a mind of the name that he's called. Riosh, said I. Aye, said Alan, Riosh. Well, it was him that took up the clubs for me, asked the men if they weren't afeard of the judgment, and he says, Dod, I'll put my back to the Highland men's myself. "'That's none such an entirely bad little man, "'you little man with the red head,' said Alan. "'He has some spunks of decency.' "'Well,' said I, "'he was kind to me in his own way.' "'And so he was to Alan,' said he, "'and by my troth I found his way a very good one. "'But ye see, David, "'the loss of the ship and the cries of these poor lads "'sat very ill upon the man, "'and I'm thinking that would be the cause of it.' "'Well, I would think so,' says I, "'for he was as keen as any of the rest at the beginning.' "'But how did Ho-Season take it?' "'It sticks in my mind that he'd take it very ill,' says Alan. "'But the little man cried to me to run, "'and indeed I thought it was a good observance, and ran. "'The last that I saw they were all in a knot upon the beach, "'like folk that were not agreeing very well together.' "'What do you mean by that?' said I. "'Well, the fists were flying,' said Alan, "'and I saw one man go down like a pair of breeks. "'But I thought it would be better not to wait. "'You see there's a strip of Campbell's in that end of Mole.' "'which is no good company for gentlemen like me. "'If it hadn't been for that, "'I would have waited and looked for ye myself, 
"'let alone giving a hand to the little man. "'It was droll how Alan dwelt on Mr. Riach's stature, "'for to say the truth, "'the one was not much smaller than the other. "'So,' says he, continuing, "'I set my best foot forward, "'and whenever I met in with anyone, "'I cried out that there was a wreck ashore. "'Man, they did not stop to fash with me. "'You should have seen them linking for the beach, "'and when they got there, "'they found that they had had the pleasure of a run, "'which is aye good for a Campbell.' "'I'm thinking it was a judgment on the clan "'that the brig went down in the lump and didn't break. "'But it was a very unlucky thing for you, that same, "'for if any wreck had come ashore, "'they would have hunted high and low "'and would soon have found you. "'We'll return with Chapter 19 "'right after these sponsor messages. "'And now Chapter 19, The House of Fear. "'Night fell as we were walking, "'and the clouds, which had broken up in the afternoon, "'settled in and thickened.' so that it fell, for the season of the year, extremely dark. The way we went was over rough mountainsides, and though Alan pushed on with an assured manner, I could by no means see how he directed himself. At last, about half-past ten of the clock, we came to the top of the brae and saw lights below us. It seemed the house door stood open and let out a beam of fire and candlelight, and all around the house and steadying five or six persons were moving hurriedly about, each carrying a lighted brand. "'James must attend his wits,' said Alan. "'If this was the soldiers instead of you and me, "'he'd be in a bonny mess. "'But I dare say he'll have a sentry on the road, "'and he would ken well enough "'no soldiers would find the way that we came.' "'Hereupon he whistled three times, "'in a particular manner. "'It was strange to see how, at the first sound of it, "'all the moving torches came to a stand, "'as if the bearers were affrighted, "'and how at the third the bustle began again as before. "'Having thus set folks' minds at rest, we came down the brae and were met at the yard gate, for this place was like a well-doing farm, by a tall, handsome man of more than fifty, who cried out to Alan in the Gaelic. "'James Stewart,' said Alan, "'I will ask you to speak in Scotch, for here is a young gentleman with me that has none of the other. This is him,' he added, putting his arm through mine, "'a young gentleman of the lowlands, and a laird in his country, too, but I'm thinking it will be better for his health if we give his name to go by.' James of the Glens turned to me for a moment, and greeted me courteously enough. The next he had turned to Alan. "'This has been a dreadful accident,' he cried. "'It will bring trouble on the country.' And he wrung his hands. "'Hoot!' said Alan. "'You must take the sour with the sweet man. Colin Roy is dead, and be thankful for that.' "'Aye,' said James, "'and by my troth, I wish he was alive again. It's all very fine to blow and boast beforehand, but now it's done, Alan.' "'And who's to bear the weight of it?' "'The accident fell out in Appen. "'Mind you that, Alan. "'It's Appen that must pay. "'And I am a man that has a family.' "'While this was going on, "'I looked about me at the servants. "'Some were on ladders, "'digging in the thatch of the house "'or the farm buildings, "'from which they brought out guns, "'swords, and different weapons of war. "'Others carried them away, "'and by the sound of mattock blows "'from somewhere farther down the brae, "'I suppose they buried them. "'Though they were all so busy,' there prevailed no kind of order in their efforts. Men struggled together for the same gun and ran into each other with their burning torches, and James was continually turning about from his talk with Alan to cry out orders which were apparently never understood. The faces in the torchlight were like those of people overborne with hurry and panic, and though none spoke above his breath, their speech sounded both anxious and angry. It was about this time that a lassie came out of the house carrying a pack or bundle, "'and it has often made me smile to think how Alan's instinct awoke at the mere sight of it. "'What's that the lassie has?' he asked. 
"'We're just setting the house in order, Alan,' said James, "'in his frightened and somewhat fawning way. "'They'll search Appen with candles, "'and we must have all things straight. "'We're digging the bit-guns and swords into the moss, you see. "'And these, I'm thinking, will be your own French clothes. "'We're going to have to bury them. "'Bury my French clothes?' cried Alan. "'Troth, no!' "'And he laid hold upon the packet "'and retired into the barn to shift himself, "'recommending me in the meanwhile to his kinsman.' James led me accordingly into the kitchen and sat down with me at table, smiling and talking at first in a very hospitable manner. But presently the gloom returned upon him. He sat frowning and biting his fingers, only remembering me from time to time. And then he gave me but a word or two and a poor smile and back into his private terrors. His wife sat by the fire and wept with her face in her hands. His eldest son was crouched upon the floor, running over a great mass of papers and now and again setting one alight "'and burning it to the bitter end. "'All the while the servant lass with a red face "'was rummaging about the room, "'in a blind hurry of fear, "'and whimpering as she went, "'and every now and again one of the men "'would thrust in his face from the yard "'and cry for orders. "'At last James could keep his seat no longer, "'and begged my permission to be so unmannerly "'as to walk about. "'I am but poor company altogether, sir,' says he, "'but I can think of nothing but this dreadful accident, "'and the trouble it is likely to bring "'upon quite innocent persons.' A little after he observed his son burning a paper which he thought should have been kept, and at that his excitement burst out so that it was painful to witness. He struck the lad repeatedly. "'Are ye gone mad?' he cried. "'Do ye wish to hang your father?' And forgetful of my presence, carried on to him a long time together in the Gaelic, the young man answering nothing, only the wife, at the name of hanging, throwing her apron over her face and sobbing out louder than before. This was all wretched for a stranger like myself to hear and see and I was right glad when Alan returned, looking like himself in his fine French clothes, though, to be sure, they were now grown almost too battered and withered to deserve the name of fine. I was then taken out in my turn by another of the sons, and given that change of clothing of which I had stood so long in need, and a pair of highland brogues made of deer leather, rather strange at first, but after a little practice, very easy to the feet. By the time I came back Alan must have told his story, for it seemed understood that I was to fly with him, and they were all busy upon our equipment. They gave us each a sword and pistols, though I professed my inability to use the former, and with these, and some ammunition, a bag of oatmeal, an iron pan, and a bottle of ripe French brandy, we were ready for the heather. Money indeed was lacking. I had about two guineas left, Alan's belt having been dispatched by another hand. That trusty messenger had no more than seventeen pence to his whole fortune, and as for James, it appears he had brought himself so low with journeys to Edinburgh and legal expenses on behalf of the tenants that he could only scrape together three and five pence halfpenny, the most of it in coppers. "'This'll no do,' said Alan. "'You must find a safe bit somewhere nearby,' said James, "'and get word sent to me. "'You see, you'll have to get this business prettily off, Alan. "'This is no time to be stayed for a guinea or two. "'They're sure to get wind of ye, sure to seek ye, "'and by my way of it, "'sure to lay on ye the blame of this day's accident. "'If it falls on you, it falls on me that I am your near kinsman "'and harbored you while you were in the country. "'And if it comes on me,' he paused and bit his fingers with a white face, "'it would be a painful thing for our friends if I was to hang,' said he. "'Ah, that would be an ill day for Appen,' says Alan. "'It's a day that sticks in my throat,' said James. "'Oh, man, man, Alan!' "'You and me have spoken like two fools,' he cried, "'striking his hand upon the wall, 
so that the house rang again. "'Well, and that's true, too,' said Alan. "'And my friend from the lowlands here, naughty to me, "'gave me a good word upon that head "'if I would only have listened to him.' "'But see here,' said James, "'returning to his former manner. "'If they lay me by the heels, Alan, "'it's then that you'll be needing money. "'For with all that I've said, and that you have said, "'it would look very black against the two of us. "'Do you get that? "'I'll see that I have to get a paper out against you myself. "'Have to offer a reward for you. "'Aye, will I? "'It's a sore thing to do between such near friends. "'But if I get the blame of this dreadful accident, "'I'll have to fend for myself, man. "'Do you see that?' "'He spoke with a pleading earnestness, "'taking Alan by the breast of the coat. "'Aye,' said Alan, "'I see that. "'And you'll have to be clear of the country, Alan. "'Aye, clear of Scotland. "'You and your friend from the lowlands, too. "'For I'll have to paper your friend from the lowlands. "'You see that, Alan? "'Say that you see that.' I thought Alan flushed a bit. "'This is uncle hard on me that brought him here, James,' said he, throwing his head back. "'It's like making me a traitor.' "'Now, Alan, man,' cried James, "'look things in the face. He'll be papered anyway. Mungo Campbell will be sure to paper him. What matters if I paper him, too? And then, Alan, I'm a man that has a family.' And then, after a little pause on both sides, "'And, Alan, it'll be a jury of Campbell's,' said he. "'There's one thing,' said Alan, musingly, "'that nobody knows his name. "'Nor yet they shall and I. "'Nor yet they shall, Alan. "'There's my hand on that,' cried James, "'for all the world as if he had really known my name "'and was foregoing some advantage. "'But just the habit he was in, "'and what he looked like, and his age, and the like, "'I could not well do less.' "'I wonder at your father's son,' cried Alan sternly. "'Would ye sell the lad with a gift?' Would you change his clothes, and then betray him? No, no, Alan, said James. No, the habit he took off, the habit Mungo saw him in. But I thought he seemed crestfallen. Indeed, he was clutching at every straw, and all the time, I dare say, saw the faces of his hereditary foes on the bench, and in the jury box, and the gallows in the background. Well, sir, says Alan, turning to me, what say ye to that? "'Ye are here under the safeguard of my honour, "'and it's my part to see nothing done "'but what shall please you.' "'I have but one word to say,' said I, "'for to all this dispute I am a perfect stranger. "'But the plain common sense "'is to set the blame where it belongs, "'and that is on the man who fired the shot. "'Paper him, as you call it. "'Set the hunt on him, "'and let honest innocent folks "'show their faces in safety.' "'But at this both Alan and James "'cried out in horror.' "'bidding me hold my tongue, for that was not to be thought of, "'and asking me what the Camerons would think, "'which confirmed to me that it must have been a Cameron from Mamor "'that did the act, and if I did not see that, the lad might be caught. "'You haven't a surely thought of that?' said they, "'with such innocent earnestness that my hands dropped at my side, "'and I gave up arguing. "'Very well, then,' said I. "'Put out a reward for me, if you please. "'Paper Allen, paper King George.' "'We're all three innocent, and that seems to be what's wanted. "'But at least, sir,' said I to James, "'recovering from my little fit of annoyance, "'I am Alan's friend, and if I can be helpful to friends of his, "'I won't stumble at the risk.' "'I thought it best to put a fair face on my consent, "'for I saw Alan troubled, and besides, thinks I to myself, "'as soon as my back is turned, they're going to paper me anyway, "'whether I consent or not. "'But in this I saw I was wrong, for I had no sooner said the words— then Mrs. Stewart leaped out of her chair, 
came running over to us, and wept first upon my neck and then on Alan's, blessing God for our goodness to her family. "'As for you, Alan, it was no more than your bounden duty,' she said. "'But for this lad that has come here and seen us at our worst, and seen the good man fleeching like a suitor, him that by right should give his commands like any king? "'As for you, my lad,' she says, "'my heart is way not to have your name, but I have your face.' and as long as my heart beats unto my bosom, I will keep it, and think of it, and bless it. And with that she kissed me, and burst once more into such sobbing, that I stood abashed. Hoot, hoot, said Alan, looking mighty silly. The day comes unco soon in this month of July, and tomorrow there'll be a fine to-do in Appen, a fine riding of dragoons, and the crying of Cruachan, the rallying word of the Campbells, and the running of redcoats, and behooves you and me to the sooner be gone. Thereupon we said farewell, and set out again, bending somewhat eastwards, in a fine mild dark night, and over much the same broken country as before. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, for Kidnapped, by Robert Louis Stevenson. Hope you're enjoying the story. We always appreciate reviews for 1001 Stories for the Road, either from you Apple listeners or from Stitcher.com listeners. Reviews are the engine that keeps us going forward. And so is your support at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. We'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.